All right. Good morning and welcome to the Michael Slate Show. I am your guest host for today, Sansara Taylor. Michael Slate is out and uh, will be back soon. He's dealing with some medical matters, so he will be back healthy and with you soon. But we have a great show for you. Let me introduce myself if you're not familiar with me. I was on last week for Michael as well. My name is Sansara Taylor, longtime friend and fan of Michael Slate and comrade of Michael Slate. And I am the co-host of the Revolution Nothing Less show, RNL show on YouTube. And uh, like Michael Slate, I'm a fighter for revolution and the emancipation of humanity, a follower of the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian. And I'm so happy to be with you. I wanna let you know what we have up for you this hour. We're gonna be looking, as we have been, for good reason, paying a lot of attention to the fault line around female enslavement, women's enslavement or emancipation, the battle that is now raging over the legal right to abortion in this country as Roe v. Wade, nationwide protections for abortions were recently overturned and the repercussions of this are being um, felt across this country and intensifying. And so we're gonna look at the stakes of this. We're gonna start out with a segment that I put together for the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show, looking at the major referendum in Kansas on abortion. You may have heard about this. There was a lot of headlines about it. A lot of the Democratic Party leaders and, and so-called leaders of the so-called pro-choice movement were triumphalists. They were so happy that an anti-abortion referendum got voted down in Kansas overwhelmingly. And it's you know one of those red states, it was kind of a surprise. Um, and of course it's good it got voted down, but it's very important that we draw the right lessons from this and not the wrong lessons because we've been losing the right to abortion. We've been on the losing side for a very long time. So let's, let's understand what's really at stake and what's at play. So we're gonna start there. We're gonna then share with you um, an update uh, from very courageous, bold, protesters for abortion rights with Rise Up for Abortion Rights out of the Bay Area who stood up and uh, ran down onto the floor of uh, NBA playoff game to protest for abortion rights. They were brutally assaulted, arrested, dragged out. And one of them was sedated, injected with sedatives by uh, her apprehenders. It's very vicious and there's a they're filing suit against this city against the police department. And so we'll bring you some of the press conference they held just a couple of days ago about that. Then we're gonna talk with Carol Downer, longtime feminist activist and pioneer of women's health. She was one of the founding uh, members of the collective that established the feminist women's health centers across California. And we're talking with her um, and getting her perspective on some of the really unprincipled scurrilous, libelous attacks that have been leveled against Rise Up for Abortion Rights, the organization, against the Revcoms, against myself, against the revolutionary leader, Bob Bakian, um, by some in the so-called movement. And she both testifies to her experience over years and decades working with the revolutionary communists, the Revcoms, countering these attacks, but also fighting for standards and principle. Standards of going for substance and, and being willing to have a debate over different approaches, different analysis, different ways of understanding the world and fighting to change it, not trying to cancel each other, not spreading rumors, personal attacks, snark and lies that not only demoralize and disorient the people, but give a free hand to the state and the repressive powers and the, and the forces of fascism and reaction. She brings to bear a lot of experience 
and knowledge. So I'm very happy to share that with you. And we'll close out the hour with a, a deep segment. It was a part of the question and answer period that followed a major talk that Baba Vakian gave in 2018 called Why We Need an Actual Revolution and How We Can Really Make Revolution, where a young person asked him, because Baba Vakian's been in this fight for over 50 years, not only never given up or turned his back on the masses of people here and around the world and the need for revolution, but he's continued to go to work on solving and working on and bringing others into solving some of the most vexing problems that have confronted those who have taken up the battle for revolution, fought to change the world and what they've run up against. And he's, he's forged answers and methods to further forge answers. And so this young person asked him, do you ever get discouraged? How do you stay motivated? How do you keep going? And it's a question a lot of people come up against. His answer is very deep. So it's a good place to close out the hour. That's what we have in store for you. It's going to be uh, a great ride. Let's start by looking at this abortion referendum that was voted on in Kansas. On Tuesday, August 2nd, voters in Kansas overwhelmingly rejected a proposed amendment to the state constitution that would have opened the pathway for extreme anti-abortion bans. This is good because at least for now, women across Kansas and some in the surrounding states where abortion has recently been banned will be able to access abortion in Kansas. But it is crucial to draw the right lessons from this experience and not the wrong lessons. So here are four important points. First, there is a tremendous reservoir of potential fury, commitment, and determination among millions and millions of women and others throughout society to fight for abortion rights and for women's liberation. The energy and passion with which a great many women and others campaigned against this Kansas amendment provides a window into the depth of fury and energy and commitment that could be and needs to urgently be unleashed in a massive struggle in the streets to win back the legal right to abortion nationwide. And this includes many not only in the progressive pockets and urban areas of this red state and others, there are also deep contradictions, even within the solid core of fascist supporters, especially among the women whose lives have depended on access to abortion and birth control. This, re this reveals the potential for serious repolarization on this question, if it is fought for decisively. And this leads me to the second big lesson. In order to call forward the fight that is needed, we have to sharpen up the truth that the fight over abortion is about whether women will be enslaved or emancipated. Forcing women to have children against their will is a form of enslavement. Women need abortion on demand and without apology, and this needs to be fought for boldly. But this is the exact opposite of what the major voices of the Democratic Party and the so-called movement that is slavishly tied to them has been doing, including in this recent vote in Kansas. The publication, The Economist, summed up the approach taken by the pro-choice establishment in this way. Quote, the pro-choice campaign triumphed through smart strategy instead of slogans explicitly about abortion. It emphasized personal liberty and privacy. The front of the main leaflet distributed by Kansans for Constitutional Freedom, the cannily named group opposing the amendment, simply read, it's up to us to keep Kansans free. Television ads urged viewers to say no to more government control. 
say no to more government control. The pro-choice side prevailed in part by running ads framing this as a rights issue, borrowing language from opponents of COVID lockdowns. It's a strict government mandate. This is not the smart strategy. This is a losing strategy. It accepts and reinforces the terms set by the fascists. It accelerates their assault and disorients and demobilizes those who support abortion rights. And the Democrats and way too much of the so-called pro-choice movement have been taking this kind of approach for decades, demobilizing people away from the streets, channeling them instead into one election after another on defensive terms, when what is urgently needed is calling for the fury of women and all who care about justice to stand up against this fascist assault and change the terms throughout society in favor of justice and liberation. Meanwhile, through this whole time, the fascists have never gone off the offense, screaming that abortion is murder and setting doctors up to be assassinated. Killing babies in America. That's the subject of this evening's Talking Points memo. For $5,000, Tiller, the baby killer, as some call him, will perform a late-term abortion for just about any reason. So this man, Dr. George Tiller, known as Tiller the Baby Killer, is performing late-term abortions without defining the specific medical reasons why. Sandra County 911. Hey, somebody just came in and shot him in our church. Somebody shot someone? Yes, Dr. Tiller. Dr. George Tiller was just shot. They've captured key levers of the state and built up a movement that refuses to be bound by the laws as we have known them. An abortion facility was hit by a bomb blast. Bomb blast at three abortion clinics. 28 abortion clinics and information centers have been bombed or set afire. The gunman shot four people before escaping here. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. They are God-denying demons that butcher babies and hate this nation. Third. The fight over abortion is not momentary or superficial. It is not just about who will come out ahead in one or another election cycle. This fight is deeply rooted in the oppression of women and the patriarchal family. And these are deeply rooted in the system of capitalism imperialism that we live under in this country. In the last several generations, owing both to major economic changes in the U.S. and around the world, as well as to the tremendous struggle that women have waged for their liberation. Women have entered into public life and into work in ways that would have been unimaginable before, and there have been huge changes in the institution of the family. And none of this would have been possible without access to abortion and to birth control. Yet, As Bob Avakian wrote in his 2021 New Year's statement, quote, the elimination of male supremacy is impossible within the confines of this system. This is true because male supremacy has been deeply woven into the fabric of this society and because this system is based on capitalist commodity relations and exploitation. Things are produced to be exchanged or sold through a process in which masses of people work for a wage or salary to create profit that is accumulated by capitalists who employ them and control their work. A system in which the patriarchal family unit remains an essential economic and social component and requirement, even as it is being put under increasing strains. And the fascist section of the ruling class 
has, over a number of decades now, waged a relentless attack on constitutional rights and mobilized their social base of religious fundamentalist fanatics to forcefully and often violently assert traditional patriarchal oppression with the assault on the right to abortion and even birth control, a major focus of this attempt to essentially enslave women. End quote. Putting an end to the oppression of women and fully defeating this Christian fascist assault on abortion will take a revolution, overthrowing this system in which this oppression is rooted. So finally, point four, a radical resolution is coming. Whatever temporary setbacks or local defeats these Christian fascists may suffer along the way, and let's be clear, right now, in state after state, they are mainly succeeding in banning abortion. They are not going to relent until they are decisively defeated. Just a few days after the Kansas vote, Indiana effectively wiped out the right to abortion in that state. As Bob Avakian went on to quote from an earlier work of his in that New Year's statement, quote, the whole question of the position and role of women in society is more and more acutely posing itself in today's extreme circumstances. This is a powder keg in the U.S. today. It is not conceivable that all this will find any resolution other than in the most radical terms and through extremely violent means. The question yet to be determined is, will it be a radical reactionary or a radical revolutionary resolution? Will it mean the reinforcing of the chains of enslavement or the shattering of the most decisive links in those chains and the opening up of the possibility of realizing the complete elimination of all forms of such enslavement? End quote. It is time for all those who care about women and all those who love justice to cast off illusions and prepare for struggle to unleash the fury of women as a powerful force standing up against this fascist tide and demanding legal abortion on demand and without apology nationwide. To unite all who can be united in this fight from many diverse perspectives, as is being done and fought for by Rise Up for Abortion Rights, and for growing numbers of people to wage this fight as an organized part of the movement for revolution so that we can truly and finally Break all the chains. All right. And so next we want to, that was my voice. This is Sansara Taylor. I'm guest hosting for Michael Slate today. I would like to now share with you uh, just a few days before Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. When it was clear that this was coming and the stakes were so high, Rise Up for Abortion Rights had been mobilizing people from diverse perspectives across this country to stand up in the streets, to protest, to try to stop the reversal of Roe v. Wade to, to, to object to it in advance. And as part of this, um, two very brave activists who are both with the Revolution Club up in the Bay Area, also work with Rise Up for Abortion Rights, ran down onto the court of the NBA playoff, uh, onto the floor of the game, and they raised a banner, Rise Up for Abortion Rights, overturn Roe, hell no. They were immediately attacked, tackled, hogtied, dragged out, um, and then one of them was against her will, injected with a mystery substance and sedated 
while she was in captivity, while she was already subdued. And so this has been something that they objected to. They refused to be quiet about. They continued to protest for abortion rights. And just a couple of days ago, they held a major press conference up in the Bay Area um, with John Burris, who is a longtime civil rights lawyer. He has been involved in many prominent cases of police murder and brutality. He represented Rodney King in his lawsuit against the LAPD years ago. He represented the family of Oscar Grant, who was murdered in cold blood by the BART police up in the Bay Area. And right now he is filing a federal civil rights lawsuit against the police for forcibly injecting a substance into one of these peaceful demonstrators for Rise Up for Abortion Rights after their protest at the NBA basketball game. She was injected with a substance after she was restrained while she was handcuffed, while she was strapped to a gurney and offering no resistance. This forcible injection brings to mind the police murder of the young black man, 23-year-old Elijah McClain. In 2019, he was stopped for no reason, thrown to the ground and forcibly injected. He went into cardiac arrest and he died. We are lucky that uh, the protester with Rise Up for Abortion Rights, Kareem McKnight, was not killed through this experience. We are very glad that they are filing a lawsuit. We're gonna play a little bit of their press conference for you to hear their voices directly. I have uh, filed a civil rights lawsuit, federal civil rights lawsuit against the city and county of San Francisco. This lawsuit is really one to say, you just can't inject someone with a sedative without having more facts for you to justify it. There was no safety issue as it relates to her or anyone else. She had not been threatening. She had not been verbally abusive. She was protesting about Roe versus Wade. The injection in someone's body without their permission is a seizure under the Fourth Amendment. And while I was on the ground, handcuffed in front of the emergency vehicle, one of the firefighters came with a needle towards me, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. No one in police custody is disposable. Kareem is not disposable. Kareem is not disposable, and I am not disposable. Injecting protesters with a sedative, specifically me, was an outrageous violation of civil rights. That last voice was Kareem McKnight. Uh, they were one of the protesters who made it down to the floor of the NBA playoff game, protesting for abortion rights. And if you listen to the rest of what they had to say at that press conference two days ago, they gave, made it very, very clear that they were filing this lawsuit, and John Burris, the prominent civil rights attorney, is filing this lawsuit, not just to object to what happened to them as an individual, but to object to the chilling message this sends to all people who would stand up and protest, to set a precedent, especially at this time when women are being, yes, forced to have children against their will. Abortion has been banned in many states across this country already, and it's being criminalized in other states. There needs to be more protest and resistance standing up against this. This lawsuit is incredibly important. The courage displayed by these protesters was not just in their original protest, but in continuing to speak out even after being brutalized in this way. It's very important. I know we will continue to bring to you what unfolds with their case and what unfolds with the battle around abortion rights overall. I, I just uh, was part of a beautiful event with them in Washington Square Park in Manhattan in New York City, called Betty and Friends Perform at the Arch. They played this song. I spoke at the event. It was other speakers and, and performers. It was a beautiful event. This is Gangway. Is it time now? Draw the blinds. Is it time now? 
That was Betty, and next we're gonna jump into an interview I did for the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show with Carol Downer. I'll introduce her in the segment. Let's go to that now. Our next guest has been an anti-racist activist since 1965. She has been a pro-abortion feminist since 1969, and she was a founding member of the collective that established the Feminist Women's Health Centers across California. She was for many years the executive director, and she still is on the board. I'm very happy to bring as a guest on the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show, Carol Downer. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here, Sansara. Wonderful. I also count you as a friend and a, a longtime collaborator in the in the fight for women's right to abortion, as well as other things. And that's brings us to what we want to get into. There's obviously so much that we could talk about, about your work over many years. But today, the occasion of this interview is you wrote a very powerful piece responding to the recent spate of unprincipled, scurrilous libelous attacks on rise up for abortion rights on the revcoms on myself and on Bob Avakey and the revolutionary leader. And you brought to bear your really decades of experience working with the revolutionary communist party and the revcoms from your own perspective. I wanted to start by asking you why you felt compelled to go into print and to take on these attacks. Well, first and foremost, they were so blatantly, um, based on absolutely not an iota of of fact. I mean, it's just baseless and so full of, uh, you know, hostility and vengefulness. It it almost made you wonder what what was their real motive, especially in this time of when we're trying to respond to uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I mean, after all, there are, you know, we're this country swinging to the right uh, so fast that it makes you dizzy. And, you know, we know that uh, communists are always first, uh, you know, to attack. Or to be attacked. So naive is to not think that uh, uh, if they did have a problem to solve it in a way that would would not, uh, you know, expose uh, not just you, but all communist organizations in our country that are working for social reform uh, to... uh, you know, who knows now that everybody can carry hidden guns and uh, I mean, the way has been paved for them. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's just the most reckless thing that I had run across and that I felt it had to be responded to. Well, I think it was very important that you did. And, and right up front, you say um, that these 23 organizations that attacked Rise up for abortion rights that that claim that it was a pyramid scheme for the Revcoms, funneling money towards the Revcom leadership and attack Bob Avakian as a cult leader and this kind of thing. Um, it did need to be rebutted, and you're right; it is profoundly dangerous. In the opening of your uh, of your rebuttal, you say, "I want to speak to this as somebody who's worked closely with the Revcoms in different capacities over the years." I wonder if you could share some of your experiences and what you draw from that, and how you bring that to bear in refuting these allegations. Um, oh, gladly, because, um, you know, the health centers, in addition to 
uh, establishing and running abortion clinics around the country. Um, we also um, like the RCP. We are uh, engaged in a number of issues. We don't just work on the issue of abortion. We also work on, um, you know, allied reproductive health things, but we also fight against police abuse and we fight against, um, you know, racism uh, and, you know, forced sterilization and all, all kinds of, uh, of issues uh, that come up that affect, uh, you know, uh, all of us. And that's where I have always had a lot, our groups always had a lot in common with the RCP because, uh, you know, we found ourselves working with you many, many times and you've come to our political educations every year. Uh, I mean, I remember with the, uh, you know, the Break the Chains uh, contingent of, you know, feminists in uh, RCP that, that came, that uh, Becky Chalker and I went to Iran with the RCP in 1979. And um, this was when uh, the revolution had just happened and the, the RCP hosted our trip to demand the hostages back. And um, so I got to see the international facets of the RCP too. And, uh, um, you know, I was very amazed and, and very impressed by uh, the, the international organization. Um, you know, and of course, over the years, it's been refuse and resist, uh, you know, and uh, now, of course, you have uh, and then stop patriarchy. And also now uh, with, um, <clears throat> um, you know, this current uh, um, pro-abortion uh, organization. And um, I mean, for some reason, that seems to seem uh, shady to people. I don't. I don't know why, because uh, for one thing, it's extremely transparent and it, it's very effective. Uh, and sometimes it's protesting. Like in the instant case here, I mean, you know, you folks, um, uh, you know, in Rise Up um, have done a lot of uh, very, very dramatic uh, uh, posting, which they seem to uh, somehow envy you because <laughs> the fact that you've actually managed to uh, get tremendous um, response. I know here at the LA Times, you're on, you're featured, uh, you're, the photographs, you know, abortion now and you know, without apology, you know, it's just um, uh, stock footage now on the uh, LA Times, you know, whenever they cover an abortion issue. It's not only you, but something from one of your demonstrations. Uh, so, um, you know, this, um, they somehow want to twist that into something nefarious. And they want to make the fact that um, uh, you have a, a leader, somebody who you as a group um, look to, to um, provide inspiration and guidance and so forth. Uh, I mean, what, what about that is, um, nefarious said, and I, I certainly have never found uh, people in the uh, the party or in any of the uh, you know committee groups that you form uh, any kind of uh, mindless you know followership. I mean, people um, are very open to discuss matters. I'm a very contentious person myself, and I love to get into. Uh, discussions and I 
Um, I like to be challenged. I like to, I don't mind having to prove where I'm drawing my thinking from. And um, I find that to be true with RCP members that I, many over the years have become uh, friends, uh, you know, um, but all very uh, esteemed, you know, colleagues. And um, I think this has got to be um, shown in the light of reality. When you spoke, you said also, you don't mind being challenged in your thinking. You don't mind having an argument. Is this the right way to approach this question or is it, a, is it the wrong way to understand it? Having that struggle over substance, which I think is very important and very different than the culture today of canceling people you disagree with, internet attacks, tearing them down, spreading lies and slanders, which then get picked up in the media. And I, this is actually a hallmark as well of Bob Avakian to get into the substance of the problems in the world and how to solve them and the method to come at this. And in your letter, you also say you've heard Bob Avakian speak, you've read his work. Um, I wonder if you want to comment some on, on the accusation that he's a cult leader up against what you've actually experienced. Well, I run the risk of uh, being called a, a zombie myself, I guess, because <laughs> I, I respect um, what, Bob, what Bob has done very much. And I find, although as a feminist, I have set my political agenda in a different way, uh, I value his thinking and his leadership. Uh, you know, he has lots of good and uh, ideas, and I think um, he deserves uh, to be highly respected. Um, and has, over the years, which I've been, you know, attending many of his uh, um speeches and um, meetings, you know, held where we discuss them and so, so forth. Um, so I'm pretty familiar with them. Uh, but as I say, I'm not focused on uh, choosing, you know, whether a socialist or a communist uh, form of uh, government would be, the, you know, part of the solution. I know it is, but I myself, I feel like I, I want to focus on getting women to be more equal at this point. Um, but you know, I want to throw in a little bit about Florence Kennedy. Uh, she was an attorney in, uh, in this, you know, second wave. And she talked about horizontal hostility. And really, this is what we're running into here. Um, and people can, uh, I guess, have called it cancel culture or whatever. It, it has become in vogue. But what it is, is just, uh, it's giving people a very false um, sense that uh, they can just sort of bully other people into thinking as they do and uh, defining things and so forth. You know, rather than um, putting out their ideas and letting them get tested. Lenny Wolf on methods, principles, and standards. Over the past eight months, Rise Up for Abortion Rights waged sustained, militant, in-the-street struggle, putting their bodies on the line, first to prevent and then to protest the Supreme Court's outlawing of abortion. The Revcoms, especially Sansara Taylor, played a significant role in that struggle. This ruling was illegitimate. It must not be accepted, and people in this country need to stand up now. 
crowd fill these streets and demand that the U.S. government at the federal level restore nationwide legal abortion. And Bob Avakian wrote a number of critical articles during that period that provided important insight and valuable leadership. Unfortunately, too many groups and individuals that should have known better stood aside from that struggle. But then, the day after the decision, a number of groups launched attacks on Rise Up, as well as the Revcoms, Sansara Taylor and Bob Avakian. The sharpest edge of the attack, which was then picked up and amplified by a number of news platforms across the political spectrum, was that the Revcoms and BA were supposedly running a cult and that Rise Up was supposedly being used in a pyramid scheme. These lies have been refuted by Rise Up and the Revcoms and on this show. But ask yourself, why are they attacking by trying to stigmatize BA, using the scare word cult instead of honestly taking on his arguments? I mean, think about it. If you found out that someone said they actually had a way out of this mess. Let's get down to basics. We need a revolution. Anything else in a final analysis is bullshit. That they had backed it up with real world research and scientific analysis that was both tight and very wide ranging and expansive. Wouldn't you want to find out about it? If it turned out he had something powerful to say, wouldn't you want to tell everybody about it? And if people were walking around in a world of hurt and saw no way out of it, except to scratch and claw against each other, or maybe at best, fight for some minor improvements here and there that wouldn't even begin to correctly identify, let alone deal with the problem, wouldn't you want to shake them awake and say, hey, Stop that stuff. There's a leader here with a way out. And if somebody thought that way out was wrong or false, wouldn't you think they'd try to make a reasoned argument against it? That's because if you're somebody who's working on the problem of how we get out of this for real, or if you're somebody who's working with all your heart to fight the power and make things better, but you're not sure about revolution, you're not sure what the heart of the problem is, and you want to raise questions and differences, then wouldn't you want to hear that content debated? Wouldn't you want to get out of slanders and gossip and anonymous sources and get into the substance of things? Wouldn't you want to hear this debated in a way in which both sides brought their best arguments? so you and others could figure out what was actually true? This week, we ran an interview on Revcom with Bob Avakian from a few years back. A great piece from a larger piece called What Humanity Needs, Revolution in the New Communism. And part of this interview, the part that we've excerpted, goes into how we should have those debates over the way forward. What it means to approach that with a scientific method and with largeness of mind and generosity of spirit, to quote B.A. And how do you do that in a way that is up here about what is true and what is not true? What is going to get people free and what is not? And not down there 
with all kinds of accusations that just degrade and demoralize everyone and get you further away from the truth. Bob Avakian also talks in this interview about what happens when people don't do that, including how the state and the political police can fish around there and goad people into doing real foul stuff to each other. Not only does that lead away from the kind of debate that can deepen understanding, that's had a tremendous cost to the people over the years, and we just can't afford to let them play the same foul stuff against us again. The people that you've heard on the show this past weekend today are the many more statements of support and defense that you can read at Revcom from all different political perspectives. Know that there's someone worth defending here and someone worth listening to and seriously grappling with. Some of these people remember or they've studied the bitter experience of the 1960s when people paid in blood for lessons on how not to conduct struggle. They're not doing this because they're into idol worship, but because they seriously want to change this world. And they know this is a voice that needs to be heard and defended from unprincipled attack and, yes, from repression. And there are also some people in forces who are mainly saying that this kind of anti-communism and slander and divisiveness should have no place in the movement or in social discourse more generally. And that stand is also righteous and very important these days. But if some people in social forces are trying so hard to keep people from even getting into this, and if instead of principled debate, they're making charges that are really dangerous, and it seems like inviting the authorities in to come mess with this, you got to ask yourself, why? And more than that, you got to tell them no. Here I'm going to read from the interview itself. Bob Avakian says, people have to fight to make the focus of things. What is the way we're going to actually understand the world and change the world? There's also a fight to have the standard be that other stuff, that tabloidism, that lowlife gossiping, slander and rumor mongering, the personal backbiting and the rest of that. We don't want that. That doesn't go here. We're about something serious here. We're about trying to make a new world, and that other stuff is part of the old world we need to get rid of. If you have a criticism of somebody, let's raise it up to the level of things that really matter. He goes on to say, it will not get things onto the level where they need to be, but will actually drag them down and away from what needs to be focused on if... When an individual or group forthrightly puts forward its views and aims, instead of responding to the substance of this, it is answered by accusing them of arrogance for putting this forward, or trying to dismiss them as a cult, or demanding, who, who are you to say that you know what the problem is and what should be done? Instead, the focus needs to be on what does this person or group stand for? 
What does that other person or group stand for? And which one, if either of them, really is in correspondence with reality and with the interests of humanity? And which is not? Or which ones go partway and then back? And which ones can actually break through and go where we need to go? Look, right now we are living in a death-bound, what they call a moribund society. This disease of capitalism imperialism has reached a potentially terminal stage. There may not be much time we have left. And here you have these opportunists and worse, who are like totally unscientific faith healers in the middle of a deadly epidemic, peddling you stuff to make you feel better while the clock ticks down. Maybe they're telling you how you should rename your symptoms to think more positively about what's actually in the process of killing you, or how you should get together in support groups where people may be very acutely suffering from this or that symptom of the underlying disease, but nobody really knows what causes it or what cures it or how to find that out. So all you can do is make each other feel better while the clock ticks down and you try to block that out of your mind. Instead of looking into and confronting the radical diagnosis and the life-saving, if risky, surgery you need that has a chance of curing this condition. So naturally, the last thing these faith-healing charlatans would want is debate about what is the problem and what is the solution. The last thing they want is a debate over what is the scientific method and approach and how does it apply to understanding and transforming society. That diagnosis and the prescription for what to do is found not only in the entire body of work of Bob Avakian, it's found right now very in particular in his talk, something terrible or something truly emancipating. Because the fact is that with this disease, within the very acuteness of it right now, lies the possibility of the cure, the cure of revolution. Again, something terrible or something truly emancipating, which will it be? This fight over leadership and the need to defend that leadership, this fight over principle and the need to uphold principle, this fight over standards and the need to insist on these standards, these are all parts of a larger fight. The fight to not only make revolution in this time, but to get beyond this society with the horrific and needless conditions it subjects people to and the putrid values it gives rise to. And yes, the way it suppresses and works against people knowing the truth. So I'll end this with how B.A. ends this section of the interview. Quote, we are going to struggle in the culture at large to tell people, let's get out of that cesspool and let's get up here into the realm of the future of humanity. And over that, yes, let's have lots of very sharp but principled struggle about the substance of what humanity's up against and the substance of what we need to do about it.
For our final segment today, we are going to turn to the voice of Bob Avakian. This is an excerpt from the question and answer period that followed an extraordinary, uh, timely, and even more timely today talk that he gave in 2018 called Why We Need an Actual Revolution and How We Could Really Make Revolution. And anybody who knows about Bob Avakian knows he has been walking that walk as well as talking that talk for over 50 years. And so at this question and answer period, a young person asked him how he has maintained his wherewithal to do that. Let's listen to the question and to how Avakian answers. Uh, my question is, I'm new to this, so I approach people uh, about revolution. I get different, different things come to me like, oh, we go through this all the time, whatever. Um, have you ever been in a point in your time, you've been doing this pretty much all your life, you dedicated your life to this. Um, my question is, have you ever been like um, discouraged at the time or feel like you had a roadblock? And what did you do to keep yourself going and motivated? Uh, yes. <laughs> more, more than once, you know, you... You know, you do, you t look, you know, you tear your hair out because, you know, this, all the things we're talking about, that we've been just talking about work against what we're trying to do, the dominant media, the way people are conditioned, you know, you go to a, you go to a school to try to hook up with the youth and bring revolution to them and the administrators come out, many times they're black administrators who, you know, who should, you know, maybe you feel no better and they start slandering you. You know, it's like, it's really hard out there, okay? Because you're dealing with a, you know, I mean, look, one of the things that, that you know, we've had to work through is, uh, you know, we've talked about the upsurge of the 60s, right? Well, what happened? It didn't go where it needed to go. You know, and because it didn't go where, it didn't go all the way to revolution for the reasons that I, you know, spoke to and we could get into it more deeply, but you know, it just didn't. It didn't go where it needed to go. So then what you, you not only then are left with the same system, but you're left with a ruling class that's going to take revenge on everything that people fought for in that time. And they've been doing not only the concrete things, but the ideas too that came out. And they've been on a, you know, and then in, in the world of that time, I talked about the Vietnam War. You had people fighting in all these third world countries against the colonialists, against the imperialists. You had China, which was a socialist country with one-fourth or one-fifth of the world's population doing, you know, making some mistakes, but doing tremendous things as the main thing going on. So, you know, people were very inspired at that time. And, you know, I, I've told the story before, but the first time that I... You want to stay standing? I'm, I'm going to talk. I can see you better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's all right. If it's, if it's okay with you, it's okay with me. But I was, uh, no, it's fine. You can stay up. I just, I just didn't want you to get tired. That's all. <laughs> okay, fine. That's good. But I was just saying, I've told this story before. The first time I met Huey Newton was, you know, I went to this, a friend of mine told me about this cultural program, African-American cultural program at a community college in Oakland. So I, I went there, and you know, I was out in the hallway or whatever, and, and uh, this guy came up to me. It turned out to be Huey Newton, and I, I think I was one of, at the most, two white people in, you know, who were attending this program. So he came up to me. I had a beard, you know, and he came up to me, and he said, who are you, Socrates? I, I, I guess he thought I looked philosophical or something, you know. So I said, no. <laughs> and then he said, 
And then he started asking me, are you with this group? And I, he, I said, no. And he said, well, that's good. They're not revolutionary. Are you with that, are you with that group? No. I, I said, no, that's good. They're not revolutionary. But then he started running down about how he saw the revolution. And he said, look in the world. We got the third world. You know, it makes up two-thirds or three-fourths of the population in the world. All those people are with us. If you just look inside of America, this is also, you know, came from Malcolm X and what. If you just look at inside America, we might be a minority. But if you look at the whole world, most of the world is with us. So that's why we can make a revolution here. Now, you know, looking back on it, look, Huey Newton had a very positive influence on me, turning me toward revolution. But looking back on it, that was pretty naive. You know, that's not the way you're going to be able to deal with this system, you know, here or even in the world as a whole. But that was like an idea that a lot of people gravitated toward. It's sort of, we had this idea that more, we were going, in, you know, things were going in a good direction. You're going more and more toward revolution. And it was just kind of grow and grow and grow and more and more people were going to get with it. And eventually, somehow, this was going to turn the whole thing over. And... You know, that didn't happen. You know, the, the, you have to come up against the fact these po people hold power. They have these powerful instru institutions and instruments of suppressing anybody who, who opposes them. They have the media, which we were just talking about, to, to manipulate people and to slander people. But they also have their, their, you know, their ultimate power, the military and everything else. And, and so you're not going to just make a revolution by more and more people getting with it. And so... Then the world changes. You know, China becomes no longer socialist. You got people who still call themselves communists, but they're just capitalists. You know, that, that's what they're doing in China. So that's not a revolutionary country anymore. Uh, you know, and the Vietnam War ended. The, the U.S. was defeated, but things didn't really go well in Vietnam. You know, I, I want to go into all of it because it takes too long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, things were, you know, so people got, people got demoralized and disoriented. And a lot of people who were with it, because they had a naive notion of how this was all going to go. And so, when you add on top of that, that the people who were the, you know, the, you know, the ones in power, who'd been challenged in a very fundamental way during this upsurge of the 60s and early 70s, you know, they weren't just going to take this. They went on a whole thing of revenge against all of the positive ideas, especially the radical ideas that came, that came to the fore in that period of the 60s. They went on a whole thing about China and how terrible Mao was. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, if you play poker, you know, you play poker and you say, okay, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll bet 300 and somebody else, play, okay, I'll see your 300 and raise it 500. Well, the, 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 you know, the, the intellectual hatchet men of this ruling class have done a similar thing with China. Mao killed 10 million people. I'll see your 10 million and raise it 20. Mao killed 30 million people. I'll see your 30 and raise it 15. Mao killed 45 million people. I mean, you know, and just slander after slander after slander, you know. Uh, and, you know, all this has an effect on people. And, you know, so, you know, you have, to, you have to have a scientific approach to actually say, well, let's, look at, let's really look into this. I mean, we've done a lot of study of what, ha what actually happened in China and also what happened in the Soviet Union, which was socialist for a while, even though they made a lot more mistakes because they were the first socialist country and they had a lot of difficulties. And they, made, and they, and they also had some wrong methods that led to some very, you know, sometimes even grievous you know, things that they did. But we've, looked, we've done a lot of work to look into what was the actual history of this. You know, I looked, uh, one time I got a book in Barnes and Nobles. And I looked at it, you know, I, I'm starting to read, and here it goes again. Mao killed 30 million people. 
So I said, okay, where's the footnote? I went to the footnote, and there's no primary source. It's just like a reference to another book. I went to the other book that it referenced, and there's just a reference to another book. There's never any primary, there's never anybody actually said, here's a study that shows this. And you know, they do things like, when they add up the people that supposedly died during the Great Leap Forward in China, they, they count the people who were not born as if they were people who were killed. In other words, because there was some, you know, there was some suffering then, some hardship, people had fewer children. So then those are counted as people who were killed by Mao, people who were never even born. No, this is the kind of stuff they do. They, you know, they take revenge on, on this because you will, for obvious reasons. Because this, is a, this was a pole, of, a magnet of attraction for people all over the world. So, you know, this, this, is, this is worn on the revolutionaries, including in this country, including in our own party. And I found that discouraging. Not, not what the ruling class was doing, but the fact that even within our own party, people were you know, starting to give up on revolution. That's why we had to have a cultural revolution in our party to, to you know, say no. You know, let's, go back to the, let's go back to the science here. You know, can, can we solve these problems that we all say we hate under the system? You know, scientifically, let's look at it. Can we? No. You know, if there have been difficulties in how we've tried to make revolution, let's look at those scientifically. Let's look at what actually happened and then figure out, you know, what lessons need to be drawn from that. That's the whole point of this new communism is sifting through that experience as well as looking at broader human experience and different fields and science and art and different things and trying to, you know, working to get a deeper understanding on the basis of scientifically going back to basics and saying, well, it, were we wrong? Do, do you really, can you really reform the system and make it okay for people? Not just here, but around the world. No. If you look at it scientifically, you get an even deeper understanding that you cannot do that. You need a revolution. So, you know, yes. <laughs> Some of this is very discouraging. It's discouraging that we, that we have, you know, that these... Great upsurge didn't lead to the revolution that it should have led to, or at least it should have attempted to go to. It's discouraging that the ruling class has been able to take such revenge on everything positive you know, that came out of that whole period. It's discouraging that even communists who should have known better got influenced by that and started thinking, well, maybe, you know, this democracy is the best that people can do and blah, blah, blah. Those things are discouraging, but you have to go back to the basics. What is the problem that humanity faces and what is the solution to that and how do we scientifically determine that? And if you, if you do that, you will see that the problem is this system we live under. There are other forces out there in the world who are no good. <clears throat> but the fundamental problem, which sort of you know, takes in all of this, is the system we live under. And the solution is, is, to, is to overthrow the system and to bring into being a socialist system and ultimately a communist world without all this stuff. And, you know, it's not going to be utopia. Everything's not going to be perfect. You know, there's still going to be conflicts, of, you know, I mean, not violent conflicts, but, you know, differences among people, struggles among people. But that is the fundamental, if you go to it scientifically, that is a fundamental problem and that is the fundamental solution. So we have to go to work even harder and with more determination and with more scientific approach even though, we, even though much of that is discouraging. You know, I, 
feel like I, met, I imagine almost all of you do. I can't stand living in this goddamn place, in this country, this world. Every day, there's something else that you just want to, you know, smash something. You know, you just want to smash something, you know, and, and, you know, so you, but what do you do? You know, you could smash something, but then after you've done that, things are still the same. So you got to really go to work on this scientifically to figure out how can we actually do this. You know, and the reason that I, you know, discouragement or not, the reason you fight through the discouragement and don't give up is because you keep coming back to the problem and solution. And if I didn't think there was a solution, if I really had to come to the conclusion that there was no way that anything better could be brought into being, then I suppose I would give up. You know, I probably would <laughs> break a bunch of things, you know? But, but I scientifically am convinced that there is a solution, hard as it is, and that we have to go to work on it even, even harder ourselves. And that was the voice, that was the voice of Bob Avakian, who is the architect of the new communism and a longtime revolutionary fighter and leader. And so much heart and so much perspective and so much science in his approach, not just determination, that's there, but science, so much to learn from that. I want to thank you for being with us here on this special uh, broadcast of the Michael Slate Show. I want to thank Gary Baca for engineering, Henry Carson the assistant producer. This has been Sansara Taylor guest hosting. I will be back next week.